Action. Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest hitting social issues in sports. On today's episode, the NFL has a crisis that doesn't get talked about nearly enough. CTE, or repeated brain trauma, is the largest threat to the sport's existence. How severe is this problem? Are there any solutions? All that and more will be discussed on the podcast today. I am Chad Wiley, and with me is John Nekrasov. John, before we get into the conversation, how are you this week? You know, Chad, I'm doing fairly good. It is 9.15 a.m. on a Friday, and I'm a little tired, a little under the weather due to the amount of schoolwork I've had this week, but, you know, we're thriving. What is college without that? Also, shout out to my man, Zach Cooler, if you're listening, for suggesting this topic idea. We are up bright and early to bring you the audio content that you know you needed. At this point, we are three episodes in, so I would say that we are the established sports journalistic podcast in the history of podcasting. Honestly, you know, Bill Simmons, step aside. Stephen A, step aside. There are new kids on the block, and we are here to replace all of you within the next decade. Just paving the way for the next generation. We're just paving the way. I mean, we are the next generation in a much more real sense, but still. We're paving the way for us. Exactly. I feel like that's valid. All right. And before we get into today's topic on the NFL and brain trauma, I wanted to do a brief follow-up on something we talked about last week. I mentioned uh, we spent the entire podcast talking about Kobe Bryant, his life and his legacy. We recorded that podcast on a Friday. And John, I don't know if you saw, but that night after we recorded, the Lakers actually played their first home game after Kobe died. And there were several just really touching tributes that uh, really impacted me. And if you haven't seen them, I would encourage you go and give them a look. Um, Usher saying Amazing Grace, which was incredibly moving to hear uh, that kind of song be played in that moment of grief. And then LeBron gave about a four minute speech that was also incredible, um, just really moving. He really stepped up to that moment and it, it made me understand uh, just the magnitude of him being a Laker in that moment and I was just glad for the decision he made because he was the best man for the job to represent that organization that night. And then lastly, Charlie Puth and Wiz Khalifa performed See You Again, the tribute to Paul Walker from Furious 7. John, I don't know if you got a chance to look at those, but I, I would encourage anyone to go do that at some point. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see them yet, but from everything I heard, you know, it was a really moving tribute, and it's just been remarkable to see the outpouring of love and grief that has been happening all around the world for the past two weeks. You know, it's not front page news anymore, and yet it's still affecting people, and people are still talking about it, and yeah, like we talked about, like it's just crazy to see the impact that a man like Kobe Bryant can have. Yeah, I'd imagine at least for the rest of this NBA season, if not longer, there will still be lots of thoughts and considerations going to Kobe. I know they're doing some stuff for the All-Star game, but this podcast is not going to be another Kobe podcast. If you did miss that conversation, you can go back and see it in episode two. Today, like we mentioned before, we're going to be talking about the concussion issue and uh, the brain trauma in the NFL. It's a larger issue that goes beyond the league and addresses the entirety of football and contact sports. Their players are at risk, and so we wanted to break down what the situation is, what we know, when it started, and what the NFL is doing about it. Now, John, you haven't seen the movie Concussion, have you? Correct. Okay, Concussion was kind of when this whole thing started for me. 
Concussion stars Will Smith playing Dr. Bennett Amalu, who's a neurosurgeon in Pittsburgh. And essentially what happens, it's back in 2002, and the Hall of Fame Steelers center Mike Webster committed suicide by shooting himself in his car. And when Dr. Bennett Amalu performed the autopsy, he opened up Mike Webster's brain and found this unusual gray substance in the brain. And based on his ongoing research, he learned that that substance was linked to the trauma he had endured as a center taking repeated blows to the head. And it kind of opened up this entire issue of CTE um, that he was researching, but the general public really didn't become aware of it until the movie in 2015. So John, what did we know about the situation back then? And why did it take the people almost a decade to catch up with what the NFL already knew about? Right, so we already knew, we knew very little about CTE and about how concussions operated until the late 90s, um, especially in the world of football. Um, the first real study, extensive study on concussions in football was done by the American Academy of Neurology in 1997. Um, but no one really knew that CTE even existed um, until Dr. Amalu found it in Webster's brain in 2005. So in 2012, the first major study across a large body of NFL players was done. Um, and we started asking ourselves, you know, just how widespread of an issue is CTE? And a study by Boston University in 2017 of 111 different NFL players' brains from basically every position found that 110 of those players' brains had various stages of CTE. Um, and so, you know, over the past decade, awareness has definitely been growing, but the NFL has at times been uncooperative in trying to understand CTE, understand how concussions impact players. And I think that as we kind of break this down is a really important part of this conversation. I don't want to blow by that last statistic you mentioned because that is mind-boggling. So just to clarify, Boston University studied 111 different brains of people who play in the NFL, and every single one except for one had some form of CTE. Right. There have been other studies that they have done. The percentages have been a little bit lower. Uh, but that specific study, every single player essentially except for one, had CTE. And that's really a massive deal because other studies have shown that for every year that a player is in the NFL, they're 30% more likely to develop CTE um, as they're in the league. That is incredible. That's, that's a mind-boggling stat. One of the more recent examples of CTE uh, came to light again after Netflix released a mini docu-series about Aaron Hernandez and his uh, his death and his suicide. Um, and then I brought back to my mind an article I read in the Washington Post that said Aaron Hernandez suffered the most severe case of CTE ever discovered in a person his age, damage that would have significantly affected his decision-making, judgment, and cognition. So now we're not just looking at studies, but we're actually seeing what the effects of it were. We, we all saw what happened to Aaron Hernandez. He committed a double homicide. He went to prison and he committed suicide in prison. And it's reasonable to say that all of those decisions were linked to the brain injury that he suffered. It's actually 
the same lady who did the study you mentioned with Boston University and Dr. Ann McGee or McKee is the same one who did this study. And she said that there is a concern that we're seeing accelerated disease in young athletes, whether or not that's because they're playing more aggressively or if they're starting at younger ages, we don't know. But we are saying ravages of this disease in this specific example of a young person. Aaron Hernandez died at 27 years old. Right. We don't exactly know how CTE interacts with mental illness and what their exact link is. But we do know that players with CTE frequently struggle with severe depression. There's a very strong connection to dementia. And with stories like um, Tyler Helinski and Jason Hairston, we see numerous instances where CTE is linked to suicide where players simply just can't live with themselves and they can't process through what's going on in their brains. They take their own lives, leaving devastated families, devastated fans in their wake. And I think that as we continue to study it and as we hopefully find a way to be able to diagnose CTE while players are alive, that really is at the heart of this because ultimately this is seriously affecting players' ability, both in the league and out of the league, and even players who are in high school or college, to be able to think clearly. But perhaps even more staggering than the condition itself is the fact that the NFL knew about it for so long, and they didn't do anything. And John, you even found a study that Congress got involved in this and was looking at the way the NFL handled it. What did you find? So yeah, essentially, Congress found that the NFL in 2016 essentially attempted to quash a study by Boston University that has been at the forefront of all this concussion research. They attempted to strip funding that the NFL had given to the National Institutes of Health, which then gave the money to Boston University to continue this research. The NFL tried to, according to Congress, pressure the NIH into taking that funding away and Congress found that they essentially improperly tried to stop this research and you know that's just one instance but it's deeply concerning the NFL has done some supposed research on how concussions affect players but it has not been comprehensive and they really aside from a few rule changes have done very little to actually promote the safety of their players and to promote changes across the entire institution of football and i think really a large part of that is just because you know they're protecting their own money it's understandable um obviously if football changes or if football even worse went away i mean their jobs are gone their income's gone right and so they have a vested interest in keeping things the way they are but we have to ask at some point whether you know the nfl is being responsible enough with the issues it's dealing with and it seems like they haven't we know at this point that cte is a very serious condition and we know that the nfl wasn't uh, transparent about what was going on but that kind of leads to the bigger question which is what should the nfl be doing yeah and i think there are a number of rule changes that you're going to talk about in a little bit that are possible ways to change at least the amount of concussions that players deal with. But I think we need to just think very carefully as fans and people who may play football, people who are children may play football, and really think about you know, like the impact that this sport is having on these players' lives. You know, 
I love football. I've only been a fan for a few years. You've grown up with the game. Um, but, you know, these players are increasingly dealing with serious mental health issues. You know, you look at some of the stories like Jason Hairston, who committed suicide and left kids and a wife um, behind him. And, you know, we're, we're sacrificing human beings for the sake of our entertainment by allowing things to continue as they are. Obviously, we're not like doing it directly, but by proxy, we're supporting a system not changing by continuing to engage in it in the way it is currently. Yeah, like you said, I've, I've thought of a couple rule changes that I think could help, but I wonder if there would be enough, John. I would love to get your feedback on these. The first one I found was the idea of eliminating the kickoff. That's something that the Alliance of American Football, during their brief time as a professional football league that they did, it's something the NFL has debated where you just take away the kickoff and give each team the ball at the 25-yard line. And essentially what the league has found is that those kickoff returns are the highest speed collisions because players basically get a 60-yard head start to start running before they collide into one of the blockers or one of the kick returners. And that speed into the which the collision goes magnifies the effect of the injury. And so it might not be a significant difference, but it could be. And I wonder if that would be a rule change in which we could actually see some real results. Right. Yeah, I think obviously big hits are a part of football. Um, We naturally associate them together. But with kickoffs, I think the more we remove the biggest hits from the game, I think the more positive direction we're moving in. I... I hesitate to think that that will be enough, though, just because of the nature of the game, right? You think of a running back like Derrick Henry. You know, his entire game is based around just basically running up the middle every time and then getting trucked. And, you know, he basically is, let's say you run him on every other snap for the Titans. He's basically getting head trauma on every single one of those plays as he's being brought to the ground. And with that kind of play style, like, we can remove kickoffs and that will take away maybe the biggest hits but there's a high probability that players will still develop CTE just from a regular snap yeah in in my research I found that it actually is not the big highlight reel hits that cause CTE kind of what you mentioned it's the consistent trauma it's not something that you'd be like oh wow his head really popped back there it's the repeated repeated hits on every single snap on every single down even small hits, those kind of things build up over time. And the kickoffs might help eliminate the big hits, but you're right that that might not actually make a difference with CTE, although it could, we wouldn't really know. Right. The second thing I thought of is just making stricter defensive penalties. And I know that there's an old generation of football that says, oh, the big hits are part of the game and it's part of the entertainment value. But, and I think we've we talked about this already, but at what point are you sacrificing safety for entertainment value? Those hits are great, but if you make football look less physical and be less physical, it can still exist in a safer manner. Right. Our player safety is primary, right? If you don't have players to play the game, then in the end we'll have no game, right? So obviously part of the attraction of football is the big hits where you know players slam into each other and it looks crazy and... You know, you feel that rush of emotion as a fan or as a player who's doing it. But, you know, again, we have to ask ourselves, like, are we willing to sacrifice players' lives in the future with their families after 
five to ten years in the NFL for those big hits. And really, after counting the cost, like I, I can't imagine thinking that through and then saying, oh, you know, I'm fine with watching this guy destroy the rest of his life for these big hits for our own entertainment. Yeah. The last thing that I thought about was I wrote a big feature story, about 2,000 words, on concussions in youth sports. And as part of that, I talked to my uncle. His name is Mark Wolf. He's a football coach in high school in Missouri. And he kind of told me that the existence of the helmet has changed the way the game has is being played. And basically, the point he was trying to make is that helmets give people a false sense of security into thinking that they're safer than they are. And he told me that, you know, on the back of the helmet, it says this helmet exists, is designed to prevent a skull fracture. A skull fracture has no effect on what your brain is doing inside of your skull. And so he kind of said that when the helmets were leather back in the old times, there no defensive player would ever think about hitting someone with their head or hitting someone in, in their head. But the current helmets allow players to feel this sense of security in their head where they basically can view themselves as a plastic bullet that they can hurl themselves head first into a person without feeling immediate pain or with any risk of fracturing your skull. But it spoke to the larger issue of the way people tackle now. And when you contrast that with rugby, where there are no helmets, their heads are free, but they practice the fundamentals of tackling with their arms, with their hands, and with their shoulders. And because of that, the head injuries in rugby are significantly less severe than in football, even though they're not even using helmets. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting. Um, Because like you said, rugby is a very physical sport, and yet the concussion numbers are significantly lower. And I think a big part, I mean, obviously the NFL is cutting down on targeting through rule changes um, and head-to-head collisions are being intentionally removed but in rugby there's still not those shoulder-to-shoulder or head-to-shoulder tackles that are so popular in the NFL because you have a helmet so you're basically you're using yourself as like a guided missile to try to take someone down in rugby you actually have to tackle them in a relatively safe manner comparatively speaking. And I think that the more we bring that into the NFL, especially in youth football, the safer in the long term it's going to be. Yeah. The last thing I thought of is that, you know, no matter what rule changes the league makes, the risk is unavoidable. There are going to be players who have this condition as long as the league exists. And so I think it's extra important that the league view their players as partners after they retire because that's when the real effects of this disease really come into play after their playing career is over in 2016 142 players sued the nfl uh, in federal court seeking workers compensation benefits for cte and basically they contended that cte is an occupational hazard of playing football and that it should be covered under workers comp And their lawyer explained that the players are not getting compensation for their injuries, but that they should. And I think that that, as long as the league exists, I think that's a big step that the league could take because they are such a big industry. They have so much revenue that they could take the time and the money to really invest in their players for as long as they live, not just whenever they retire from the game. 
But John, I guess the last question I want to throw back to you on this topic is we just got into the 100th year of the NFL being in existence. That was this past Super Bowl. And now we're going into the next, you know, 100 years. What is football going to look like? Is it going to exist in 20, 50 years? What, what's the future going to be? I mean, honestly, I don't know. You know, I enjoy watching the sport of football. And tons of Americans do. Millions of Americans tune into the Super Bowl every year. But we're seeing high school football numbers go down pretty consistently across the board. And as this research is starting to become more high profile, movies like Concussion are coming out, parents are starting to think more and more like, should my child be playing this sport? Is this safe for my child? And as much of an impact as it can have on communities and as many leadership skills and you know opportunities it provides, especially for people in low-income areas to you know make a name for themselves, the harsh reality is that playing football, even at a high school level, may take away opportunities and happiness for you later in life. And, you know, I wonder if in 50 years, parents will start saying, you know, you can go play basketball, you can go play soccer, you can go play tennis, but you're not playing football. You know, my kids, as much as I love watching football, will not play football in its current form. Um, And it's going to have to either adapt or I think it'll go away. Yeah, I think you hit it exactly right. If you think about it as an economic principle, the demand for football will never go away. And the league isn't going to change it. The only way the NFL could ever go away is if the supply dries up. If parents and athletes become more educated and decide, this is not something that my children or that I am going to participate in. And if the league and the world ever got to that point, the NFL would have some serious reevaluating to do. I can't imagine a world without football, but based on the studies we're seeing, it seems possible. And it seems like almost the smarter thing to do. So I think we'll leave the conversation there for now. And when we come back, John and I will be back with our favorite segment of the week, Bar Corner. So stay tuned for that. And we are back for our favorite segment of the week, VAR Corner. And John, your clear and obvious error is going to who this week? My clear and obvious error is going to none other than the entire organization of Barcelona Football Club. Barcelona just fired their manager. They're in free fall. They lost to Athletic de Babao in the Copa del Rey quarterfinal yesterday to a goal in stoppage time, 1-0. There is vast dissent in the ranks, in the locker room. Lionel Messi has spoken out against the administration, and there's a high potential that Messi would be able to leave the club after spending his entire career at Barcelona on a free transfer this summer. You know, not even a single cent spent by another team to bring him in. And just imagine having the world's greatest soccer player on your team and messing everything up so badly that he's thinking about leaving. I refuse to believe that. Like, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. And if he goes, as the rumors are saying, to Manchester City of all places, so help me, 
Bye, Sergio Aguero. I will lose my mind. No, see, it's a little funny, though, because imagine Lionel Messi and Sergio Aguero teaming up. It happens every so often with Argentina, and they don't win anything. No, they don't. So it's quite possible that it could actually be a toxic relationship. But they do score goals. They do score goals. It's a problem. All I'm saying is Lionel Messi reunited with Pep Guardiola is my worst nightmare, and it must not happen. Barcelona, I'm speaking to you. Stop. Please. Stop this. Please. We, for the good of the Premier League, please stop. My clear and obvious error is going to the entire South Korean judicial system. Um, Bold statement. Yes. This week... Well, okay, let me give some context. Every summer, different soccer teams will travel to other parts of the world to do exhibitions or friendlies. Uh, a lot of them come to America. They play in some of the NFL stadiums or like Michigan's football stadium. And this last summer, Juventus and their superstar Cristiano Ronaldo traveled to Seoul, South Korea, and they were going to play the South Korean League's all-star team. And apparently, before the match, it had been publicized that Ronaldo would play. Spoiler alert, he didn't. He sat on the bench for the entire 90 minutes. And fans were less than happy about that who had paid tickets to see him. And two fans in particular decided to sue the match organizer, not just for to get their ticket money back, but an additional lawsuit for the mental anguish they suffered as that in the fact that they did not get to see Ronaldo. And not only did the South Korean court rule with them on the ticket price back, but they ruled that the ticket organizers had to pay them an additional $253 for the mental anguish they suffered because they weren't able to see Cristiano Ronaldo. And the worst part of it is there are 87 other lawsuits that are alleging the exact same thing that are still yet to be ruled on. I mean, hey, if I paid to see Cristiano Ronaldo and I didn't, I'd be pretty mad too. That's all I'm saying. I don't know about mental anguish, but like, it's fraud. Maurizio Sarri has frauded the entire country of South Korea. The worst case scenario is you go, you don't see him, and you get your money back, and then you got 90 minutes of free soccer. You don't need any additional mental anguish. That is absurd and ridiculous. No, unquestionably, that's one of the most ridiculous lawsuits I've ever heard of. Just, just Imagine absurd. being that invested in a sport. First off, shout out to these fans for even thinking of it. But come on, judicial I mean, system. I applaud that energy, though. I'm not going to lie. The judicial system just needs you to You know that you would do that. I would not. Yes, you would. I would not. I would enjoy seeing Paula Dybala. Imagine you going to pay to see the LA Galaxy last year and not seeing Zlatan. Well, my, my fiancé and I went together. Uh, to, it was at DC United. And we were actually really upset because Wayne Rooney ended up not playing. And that was her favorite player. Shout out to my fiance Megan, if you're listening. But um, yeah, it was actually really tough because uh, an hour before the match started, he was ruled out with some sort of illness. And so that was super upsetting. Less so for me, because I still got to see Zlatan, but we also wanted to see Rooney, so. Well, exactly. And But we didn't sue anybody. But that's why you're there. But also, we didn't but sue they, anybody. They had no choice. He was injured. Ronaldo was not injured. They I just mean, didn't play him. But same, it was the same mental anguish for the fans. But we just weren't being petulant and petty and deciding to sue for no reason. Or maybe because Megan is more reasonable than you. Megan is... You know that Zlatan. Megan if is, Zlatan hadn't played in that game, you'd have sued. 
Both of those things are true. I would have sued, and Megan is unquestionably more reasonable than I. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast. Uh, subscribe to us on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. And on Google Podcasts now. Google Podcasts now. We are branching out even more. If you are on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a rating and a review. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you dislike. If you have any suggestions for other topics we can talk about, you can mention those in the reviews. Or just uh, comment to us on our Twitter feeds. Mine is at Chad E. Wiley. John? And mine is at John underscore Nekrasov. Thank you guys so much for listening today, and we will see you next week. All right, cheers, guys.